Sunday afternoon sipping some beers at Denison's Brewery in Silver Spring with my good friend, Julie Morani, who is a lieutenant governor candidate running with gubernatorial candidate Alec Ross. They're Democrats running for, uh, in this crowded primary. I guess it's crowded. I don't so, well, I mean, when you compare it to what's going on the county level, it right. doesn't seem that crowded. Well, yeah, I mean, what, at the at-large race, I, in fact, I interviewed Bill Conway last night, and he's, he's 33 people. Wow. And you guys have, I think, totally, total nine. Yeah, it's nine. Okay. It's at nine, but yeah. it's like, you know, seven credible candidates. That's what people say. Yeah. So, <laughs> Julie, thanks for coming on. Um, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. We've been trying to schedule this for some time, and that's like we're back and forth. And um, I will, whatever excuse I can find on a Sunday or any day of the week to come to this awesome place. It's one of my favorite places in Montgomery County. Thank to have you. beer. Um, you have one hell of a business. And it's so, that. and it's just so well done. And it's popular, and I've made some great memories here with my wife. Um, I've met other candidates here, and it is one of those hometown Montgomery County places where I thought I was in Vegas. Over spring, you have to stop here. And you know, I, I would rank it up there. And we were talking real offline about Clyde, mm-hmm. but Clyde Tower Oaks is one of those Montgomery County staples. Yep, I agree with that. And so we're here, and um, I appreciate you coming on. It's been a whirlwind of a <laughs> last few months. What's in February? Yep, February nineteenth. Yeah. February nineteenth, and um, we, in fact, there was a certain intrepid journalist <laughs> blogger who picked up the phone and said. Hey, um, this is Ryan Miner calling for Julie Verratti. Uh, was just hoping that uh, I could talk to Julie because I heard these rumors about her joining Alec Ross's gubernatorial ticket, and they're like, oh, sure, let me see if she's available. <laughs> and I, and they, they, they're like, um, this was a Friday afternoon, by the way. They're like, Julie will call you back. And I was like, okay, all right. And then so I think a few days later, you all uh, Alec announced that you were yeah, his pick. Um, and we'll go into bio and your background in just a moment, but I'm always curious to see how those discussions go down. How did you get to know Alec Ross? How did he come to decide that you were um, going to be on his Google Tour today? Sure. So um, I, uh, I am one of the uh, founding members of the organization that was created uh, I guess it's probably about two years ago now. Probably easier with Well, it hopefully it will be at some point. Uh, we, we we named it that with the goal that we'll become that at some point. Right now we're very Montgomery County focused, so we just need to we're still building membership and trying to spread the word. Um, but basically we're Democrats, we're business people. So we have folks come and speak to us whether they're somebody who's already in elected office or someone who's dying for elected office, they come and talk with us about what they think about business issues or if they have questions, they can do that. I mean, really the goal was, uh, I think, twofold. One was to create almost like a safe space for Democrats to mm-hmm. walk into a room full of business people and know that they're not going to get lambasted by a bunch of, you know, like Republican Chamber of Commerce types. Right. I know so, those things. I do. I get along very well with yeah, them. Yeah, good people, but I, I, yeah, they're different. There's some different values in, in terms no. of who they might vote for, exactly. let's say at the national level. No, for sure. Um, so that was one thing, sort of create that safe space for conversation within the Democratic Party. And then the second goal was really to actually force that conversation within the Democratic Party. I think that our party, uh, is, you know, the lifelong Democrat, has done a pretty bad job about welcoming business people into the 
unfold. Um, it's something that I have felt, you know, as a small business owner. Uh, I felt somewhat alienated from my own party, and it's, uh, it's something that I think we need to change, especially if we want to start winning general elections again, which we've not been doing a very good job of. Well, you certainly are a prominent small business owner in Montgomery County. I think everybody knows your name because they've either frequented your establishment, um, they've had some type of event here, and it's just one of those, like I said, it's an important staple in Montgomery County community, but where do you think that, I don't want to necessarily claim that the Democratic Party is hostile to, to business and business owners because I see the conversations that are happening, especially at the county level, to attract new businesses, to attract Amazon, to attract several of the, you know, to start up new companies in the state of Maryland. Yep. But where do you think the Democratic Party has, I would say, gone astray? So I think I'm going to answer your question by giving my perspective on where I think Republicans are wrong in business and where I think Democrats have historically not been good on business. Republicans understand that there's a difference between the Budweiser's of the world and the Denison's Brewing Companies of the world. They get it, right? Right. But when they're making policy, yeah, they just don't give a shit about the Senate. Right? They're yeah. just doing things to help Budweiser out, right? Multinational corporations. The Democrats, um, and again, I'm speaking very generally. There's obviously Democrats that exist that, that aren't, do have a different perspective, but I'm just going to say generally here. Don't understand that there is a difference between Budweiser and Dennis's Brewing Company. There's a lot of black and white policy that's put out, a lot of black and white platitudes put on businesses. Uh, that, quite frankly, you cannot regulate small businesses the way that you regulate Fortune 500 companies. I agree. There are, there's a total difference in terms of economies of scale, in terms of resources. You know, these multinational corporations have floors of people who are lawyers and CPAs that work directly for the government. Corporate lawyers that work for $1,600 right. an hour. Exactly. And then you've got, you know, a Dennis's Brewing Company, so Emily Bruno, my wife, is business partner, she is the HR department. Right? Like, there's no... There's one. There's one. And yeah. it, 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 she's also the person in charge of the finances, right? You know, and then me, I'm, I'm in charge of business development and the wholesale and, you know, making sure that I'm trying to keep an eye on, like, what regulations are coming on the pike and where can we sort of advocate, uh, not just for denizens, but for all kinds of small businesses in our community. And so it's, when regulations change and they're not consistent, it is a lot more difficult for a small business Actually, went out for a month. Right? As a and I came back. There's this lack of empathy and understanding that I, I was, have. I was like jogging up two feet. And a lot of it, quite frankly, Montgomery County is kind of a one party county, right? So yeah, it is the Democratic Party that's creating the problem. And I also will say that I don't, I am one of those people that is sort of an eternal optimist, and I try to assume the best in general. I never ever have this thought that like, oh, this policy is passed. I like it. It's good drama. I always think policies that are put forth are coming from a very well-intentioned place. I just think that there hasn't been a seat at the table from a small business perspective. And it's um, it's something that needs to change. If the Democrats want to bring in more people to our party, expand our family, we need to make sure that we're talking about these things. We're talking about these we're putting forth the I don't know. Yeah. Everybody's voice is working on it. Yeah. I thought it was. And the same thing for the Republican Party. They need to open their tent 
and it can't be the damn clothes. I, I'd be fine if you're going to I love the Democrats. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I think that and both parties close have close so I went back to a driver's function in our. Sure. I will actually know what, as, a, as, an under, oh, as an independent, as what they say, an unaffiliated person in Maryland. Um, I have not joined the Democratic Party because I feel like I am entirely too moderate to join the Democratic Party because I think people on the far left say they're mistrusting that. They're, they don't believe that I would be actually a real Democrat. In fact, it's happened here in Montgomery County. One of the candidates running for county executive, David Blair, started like targeting him and saying he's a fake Democrat. What does that even mean? I don't know what that means. I don't get it. I mean, and then on the Republican Party, dear God, I would never go back. Right. Uh, I mean, unless they changed their ways or unless they disavowed Trump and then started a new party where they based it on a, uh, I would say, a center right philosophy of being fiscally conservative and socially accepting.
I wanted to ask you hypothetically, if I were to maybe consider asking you to run as my lieutenant governor candidate, what would you say? And I was like, I remember I hit the mute button. And was like, is this seriously freaking happening? What is going on? Because I, I, I had literally, I had no idea or indication that this was something you wanted to talk to me about. Yeah. Um, so, you know, short story. A couple of weeks back and forth, just sort of talking about it, thinking about it, and uh, you shock your wife. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's one of those big decisions. I mean, yeah. If I came home and I was like, "Hey, I'm like, guess what? I'm yeah, running for lieutenant governor without yeah. talking to her." I talked to Kim, and I was oh. like, "Hey, Kim, guess what?" <laughs> She'd be like, "You're out of your freaking mind." Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, Emily and I had a long conversation about it. Uh, multiple conversations, actually. Yeah. And um, you know, at the end of the day, what she said to me was, and this was in the past, which is why I'm a, I'm a huge fan of picking the right person for your spouse because she knows me well and she's always supportive and knows how to say the right thing to sort of get my mind to like frame itself the way it should. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in our conversation, she said, Julie, think about your background. You know, you're someone who's a lifelong Marylander, you were born and raised here, you're an attorney, you work for the federal government, you own and operate a small business that actually has employees. You understand regulations from that perspective above and beyond just like starting a company. You know, you have been advocating across the whole country, whether it's on social issues like same-sex marriage or the environment or small business, and you are a absolute social progressive when it comes to, you know, being a Democrat. And quite frankly, you are being asked to serve, and I know you as someone who tries to do service. Why would you say no to something like this just because you're scared? I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're totally right. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I, I realized, the thing that was holding me back is that I was afraid of it. You know, what does it mean if I put myself out there? You know, you put yourself out there and you're in for office. It's very, it's a very vulnerable position. One, I, I would say one of the most vulnerable because your life is on broadcast. Yep. Everybody can dig into your background. Yep. I mean, let's back into something you did in college and you're like, ah, oh, geez, you know. Right. You're, you're 38 years old and we're, we're, I'm 32, we're young. It's hard. I would not, yeah, I just, I, it's hard. It's really hard. Oh, uh, yeah. It's also been very interesting to me, it, it, the perspective of running for office, because, you know, I'm not doing this because I'm trying to, like, run for office again at some point in yeah. the future, right? Like, this is, I am really, I just want to be of service. And I think that my background and perspective is so necessary. You know, I, obviously, I think Alec and I are going to win. I hope that we win. But if we don't, I am grateful that I've had the opportunity to force the conversation about small business in the Democratic primary during this race. Because I talk about it as much as I possibly can. Any forum that I'm speaking in, any one-on-one -on -one conversations with people, the meet and greets, the going around the state, talking to folks. And I, I think it is really important that the perspective brought to the table and the conversation is being had. I think it's refreshing to see your ticket, Julie, that you're you're outside of the box. I think that's a fair characterization. Sure. Uh, Alec is not a career politician. Neither am I. And but I mean he's had experience inside of high levels of government at the federal level. He's worked for Hillary Clinton, right? He has been he worked for President Obama. Yep. And so and he's an entrepreneur, he started Company, he's done a lot. And what, 40, 45? 46. I think he might be 47. Now. Okay. Well, yeah. in his late he's turning 47 very soon. So he's in his late 40s. Yep. 
and he's done a lot, and so have you. And so have you at, at 38 years old. It's very impressive. This ticket, you have been unafraid to address some hard-hitting issues that, as you said, bringing different kinds of Democrats into the big fold. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important because not everybody in the Democratic Party is a down-the-line, hardcore progressive right. on the left. I think that there is some moderate Democrats that are out there. Mm -hmm. There's many. I mean, look at Peter Francho, for example. Right. Here's a guy who works with Governor Hogan pretty well. Yep. And I think we're all looking for government to work together. I agree. There's, we're at a stalemate in our, in our politics these days. Both parties are sometimes unwilling to put the foot forward and say, hey, what, look, we got a lot of things in common. we got some differences, but, you know, let's get to work on behalf of why people elect us. Right. Um, and I see you having that important conversation about small businesses. That's vital. we got to talk about that. And I don't understand why sometimes on the left they want to demonize businesses. They're the job creators. You know, I think... And, and then we talked about the, and we can talk about the $15 minimum wage, but sure. um, I grew up in a small business. My stepfather started a business with, in 1988 when I was three years old. My mom went to, she from college, she got a degree, and she was basically like your wife, and she's the CFO, HR. My stepfather was the technical side, it was the heating and air conditioning company, and they're still very much so in existence after 25 years. And they built it from nothing. They've created literally hundreds of jobs in Western Maryland, and they've done really well for themselves. And, and I'm proud of that, and I have a different type of upbringing where we were there sometimes at 9, 10 o'clock mm -hmm. on a Saturday night struggling just to make a living, to make a payroll, and that's what it's all about. I mean, how many people do you employ? Approximately, I mean, it fluctuates up and down throughout the year. It's part of our business is seasonal. Um, but on average, it's about 35. Uh, I bet every time you offer somebody a job, you feel free. Picnic, and um, I came up to him and I said, 
hey, it's, it's really good to see you running. And I whispered into his ear, and I said, oh, God damn it, this is Donald Trump. And Alec let, let, um, he let out a few expletives. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I really like this guy. He's, yeah. he's normal. He's down to earth. Yeah. Um, but so you went to, I assume you went to high school here in Silver Spring. Uh, no, I actually, so I went to public school through elementary and middle school, and then I actually uh, graduated from Stonebridge from high school. Okay. And then you went off to college at Brandeis? Uh, that's where I finished college. I actually started off um, in, uh, went to Montgomery College for a couple of years. Uh, and part of it was, you know, right after graduating high school, I sort of coming to the terms with the fact that I was gay. Yeah. And I kind of went into sort of a depression. I just I felt lost. I was, you know. This was out of high school? This was right out of high school. And it, it just, it, it was a tough time for me in that, in my, that period of my life. Uh, but, you know, luckily I got through it and, um, and I was able to go to Montgomery. College. Were you afraid to come out because it wasn't, I guess the culture at that time had not, not nearly where, where we are now is a huge step yeah, in the this, right this direction. this was like the uh, late 90s. So it wasn't too horrible. I think it was just something that I just was personally struggling with. Yeah. Um, it's not like I swallowed in it for years. Like I got over it pretty quickly, but it was, it was something that I was, that I was dealing with that I, I knew that I didn't want to be away from my hometown. Right. Um, so being able to have the opportunity to get a fantastic education in Montgomery College. I took every class I could. It was affordable. You know, I could, I, I had this great opportunity. I played soccer for, for Montgomery College. I played tennis for Montgomery College. We actually won a national tennis championship wow. for the college, which was pretty cool. Um, and then I transferred up to Brandeis University in Massachusetts and uh, graduated from there and right out of college worked, started working in politics. Okay. <laughs> um, I started. The beer sip. Yes, yeah, the beer <laughs> sip. Uh, clear my throat. So uh, I went. The first thing I did is I started raising, doing fundraising for the Democratic Party nationally. Massachusetts is a good place to be a Democrat. It is a good place to be a Democrat. Um, and then I ended up uh, doing a lot of get out the vote work and field organizing work down in Florida. This is when uh, John Kerry was running. 2004. Yeah. 2004. I was in college. Were you? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Where, where were you in college? I was in Duquesne. Okay, in cool. Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So I remember that race pretty clearly. And for me, I'm sure a lot of people. Oh my gosh, it was unbelievable. <coughs> and at the time, uh, I was uh, I was still a Republican, and it was you know, the George W. Bush versus John Kerry. Right. The Swift vote attacks. Remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a very interesting race. I will tell you, you know, we would test market sort of messages to see how we can motivate people to want to support the and if every time we said, hi, would you like to help us elect John Kerry, most people were like, eh, no, not really. But then some people would say yes. But then when you said, hi, would you like us to help, would you like to help us defeat George Bush, we had almost like 100%. Yes. Yes. Was it because of the Iraq war? I think that was part of it. I think it was, um, I don't know. It, it's funny now thinking back to then what it's like now in 2018. I still remember when we went to war. Yeah. It was, I think, March 19, 2003. I was a senior in high school, and I remember coming home and turning on the television, and my parents were, we were all gathered around there. And at the time, well, it was my mom and I, my parents were separated when I was in high school, but my mom and I, I said to my mom, I said, This is really bad. And she said, Well, why do you think that? And I said, Well, it doesn't look like they ever attacked us. Right. Right? And, I, I mean, make the case or not, but 
from there in, I, I always thought of myself as more of a, um, not a, definitely not as a neocon persuasion. Sure. sure. Uh, and I, I was always concerned that this Iraq war, which took so many of our men and women in uniform, mm -hmm. unnecessarily so. And while I think George W. Bush probably had good intentions, I thought he, he I believe that he, I believe that he thought he was doing the right thing. It just turned out that, I mean, in hindsight, bad idea. Yep. It's a really bad idea. Yeah, no, it definitely was. And I think that um, you know, we learned a lot of lessons from that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we can continue to progress our country forward. Well, you were working for John Kerry. Remember the single biggest issue that was the single biggest wedge issue coming out of politics in 2004? Gay marriage. It was gay marriage. Yep. Exactly right. I remember, I remember very clearly. And so here we are, and it came down to one state. If John Kerry had won Ohio, he would have been president of the United States. If he had won Florida, he would have been president of the United States. That's, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is where I was working. So right. it clearly wasn't very good at my job. Well, but, <laughs> but it came down to gay marriage. And look how far we've come. Yeah, and I could talk a lot about that. Um, because after, so after we lost, we lost that campaign, I moved to New York City for about a year. Wow. It, it ran a... Did you live in Manhattan? No, I lived in Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, in Greenpoint. Okay. And uh, with... Uh, they called it East Williamsburg, mm -hmm. uh, which is not a very nice neighborhood to live in. It was a lot of sport. But I was working on I was working on an environmental campaign, and then after about a year, <coughs> I stopped that and moved back to the Boston area. Great city. The wonderful city. Um, I so I lived there for another uh, two and a half, three years, working on protecting same-sex marriage. Because one of the reasons why gay marriage is such a big issue in Illinois is that the state Supreme Court. Uh, November 17th of 2003, uh, came down with a good purchase decision, uh, decided that according to the state constitution uh, in Massachusetts, gay people should be allowed the right to marry. And they did. And they did. And they got married. later, May 17th, 2004, was the anniversary. There's a lot of couples in Massachusetts that their wedding anniversary is May 17th. Is that right? Yes. It's actually very interesting, too. There's like this weird cultural thing that happened where... There were also a lot of breakups that happened from very long-term relationships within the community because you have one person in the couple who was like, we get married, we want to get married, and the other person was like, uh, I don't want to get married. They weren't comfortable with it. They weren't comfortable with yeah. it. So there was a lot of um, breakups from very long-term relationships in Massachusetts. People either got married or they split, right? It was like a very interesting like cultural thing. But... Um, <coughs> I worked for this organization, Mass Equality. She fought back, uh, I think it was 19 constitutional conventions. I'd have to double check. It might be a little longer than that. Uh, but it was, you know, it was a full-scale electoral fight, a ballot initiative fight, a state-level lobbying fight. Uh, we organized the shit out of that state. I'm talking door-knocking, phone calls, meetings with legislators, the whole time. Uh, and it was uh, an incredible experience for me. So I helped advise on you know, state races, whether they were going Was Mitt Romney younger than he was? Did he just work in Absolutely did not. But he then later, well, I listen, I like Mitt Romney on, on some issues, but he kind of, you know, if I'm imitating the flip flop right Yeah. We're not really sure. I'm not really sure where Mitt Romney is on some of the No, he was... Uh, it looks like he's going to be in the next U.S. Senator from Utah. Yeah, it does look like that. I will say that he was sort of, uh, according to the, the LGBT community perspective in that time in Massachusetts, he was sort of enemy numero uno. Really? Yes. He 
too. It, well, because of course it's more than faith. Right. And listen, I got to tell you, Julie, I grew up, I grew up Catholic and in Western Maryland. So those two things combined, right, very culturally conservative. Of course. Then I went off to a Catholic university. Right. And so we always looked at gay marriage or gay issues with a narrow myopic perspective. Myself included. I always thought like, okay, I was I grew up in the church. This is it, it's not right, right? Right. So then I got into college and I thought I still thought the same. But then I got out into the real world, Julie, and I started to actually meet gay people. Oh my god. Like you, you yeah. And I got off I mean I left for my first job on Capitol Hill. I worked for a congressman from Pennsylvania and I lived in a oh it was a shitty one bedroom efficiency on Capitol Hill. I paid like 550 bucks a month. It was oh my god! It was the worst goddamn apartment I've ever been in. I would I wouldn't even bring my mother there um, because she would be too embarrassed and like demand that I moved out. But then again, I was living on a salary of twenty six thousand dollars a year, working on Capitol Hill. Anyway, I got out of the real world, and I remember when I left my job on Capitol Hill because I wasn't making any money. I could I literally couldn't survive. And then I wanted to go back home and get and do something else. I just wasn't sure what it was. Um, I started going to this cafe um, in Williamsport, Maryland, and it was owned by a gay couple. And she knew I was a Republican, and her name is Rose, and she actually came to my wedding with her and her wife. And she said, right, and, and it wasn't until a couple years later, she said, you know, I never told you I was gay because I, I you know, I knew you were a Republican, and I knew you were active in Republican politics, and she goes, I just didn't want to upset that apple cart because I loved you so much. Right. And she goes, I didn't want to see, you know, I didn't want that relationship to be ruined because of political politics. Sure. And I said, when she told me that, I mean, I broke down crying because I said, how could somebody think that I would not accept them? And that, that experience for me changed my entire life and my perspective. And ever since then, I have been what I think was an advocate, has been an advocate for um, the LGBTQ community. Because you don't choose that. You don't, nobody chooses to be gay. I mean, right. if you did, wouldn't it be easier to not to, to have yeah. I mean, do you remember choosing to be straight? No, I mean, I came out of the womb and I knew that, you know, from the right. beginning, I like girls. Right. And I just never quite understood why people had such a problem with it. Maybe one, in one hand it was religion, and maybe their religion said, and even that is questionable. Right. But <laughs> I just, I have this problem with these, these people that use the LGBTQ community as a wedge issue, and I have a real hard time with that now. I can't stand the bigots. Yep. I mean, I look at Maryland. Remember when we had question six on the ballot? Mm -hmm. And my legislator, my former state legislator, a guy by the name of Neil Perrin, mm -hmm. is like the most anti-gay person in Western Maryland. And you know, I just want to, I never really asked him, why, why are you so anti-gay? Maybe it's none of my business, and maybe he would just tell me, or maybe he would give me some BS and say that it's that it's personal or it's a religion issue. Like people are people, love is love, and I just don't understand it. And when somebody broke down the logic to me, like, wait a second, you're, you you want to prevent somebody, a, a couple, to get married, the same rights as as a straight couple? That's when it hit me. I'm like, my God, you're absolutely right. right. It is absolutely it would be nuts not to to allow somebody of the things that who cares, right? right. What, what how does how does your marriage affect anybody else's life? Right. And if you're personally if your marriage is impacted by somebody else's marriage, there's a deeper issue going on in your marriage. Yeah. And I, this is a I will tell you from the movement up in Massachusetts and 
we felt the weight and the pressure of the world on our shoulders because we were the first and only state to get access and solidify that right in the beginning. And then we had we had to fight it back from legislative efforts to try to change the Constitution to make it so you didn't have to protect same-sex marriage, to ballot initiatives trying to change the Constitution. Wow. It was just a constant year after year after year fight. And we found that towards the end of it, you know what messaging works the best to change people's minds? Two things. One, we would ask people, we would ask legislators, so why did you marry your wife? Like, so I'm going to ask you this, Ryan. Why did you marry your wife? Because we fell in love, and she made me a better man. And I, it's uh, one of the, it's a love that I can't even explain, right? Because you love that person so much, yep. you can't even put it into words. And I get yep. emotional talking about it. Uh, yep. It's the right person. Right. Yeah. Well, you know what messaging we were using before that? Yeah. You should allow gays to get married because we need to have health insurance benefits. And we need to have, you know, state taxes. Yep. Right. No one gets married because of that. You get married because of what you just said. Right. You love this person. You don't your life with them. Right. So we, we pivoted our messaging. So it was less about give us those rights. It was more about treat us as equals. Like, you have to understand, we have the same experience as you. We fell in love with this person just the same way you fell in love with your spouse, right? So that, that was the first thing. The second thing was we realized that if we were going to change the hearts and minds of legislators and voters, quite frankly, so obviously when we the legislative initiative, we had to change the legislator's perspective. And if it's a ballot initiative, we have to change the voters' perspective. Instead of sending in the gay couples to go talk to the legislator, we started sending in their kids or their, or their co-workers or their parents or their friends or their you know siblings. Because if you're a legislator and you only see the world the way that you do, you're never going to relate to a gay person explaining to you what it's like to be gay. But you know what you will relate to? What it's like to really love your sister. What it's like to really love your child. What it's like to really love your parents. Right. Right? So those, we found the right message and the right messengers. And did you win hearts and minds that way? Absolutely. Over between 2003 and 2007, we finally, finally defeated the campaign. We went from fewer than 80 legislators in a legislative body of 200 supporting same-sex marriage to 151, which is the exact number we needed proactively voted yes, I support same-sex marriage on the record. And that was Republicans, that was Democrats, and Independents. Wow. We completely flipped the entire legislature. And we, we, you know, we did it by taking out incumbents, by winning every single open seat, by protecting every single person. Did you meet with the governor? Uh, yeah, we tried. With Romney? Yeah. Did, it didn't work? didn't work. But did, it they didn't have a, did they have a lieutenant governor? Uh, yeah. Do they have one in Massachusetts? I don't know. I don't think they do. Okay. They do. They, I, I don't know Massachusetts politics too well, but I do know that I'm sure you spent a lot of time on Beacon Hill and, yeah. and went up and talked to these guys. And look, Massachusetts, like Maryland to yeah. an extent, is it's in some places, and especially in communities like Boston, which is a very segregated city in terms of oh, yeah. culture. Quite frankly, it's actually one of the most... I love Boston, don't get me wrong. I have to say it's probably one of the most generally racist cities I've ever lived Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, because you have the I mean you have a lot of different cultures yep. and nationalities and backgrounds there. But even even from what I have experienced, it, it's 
separate into different, you know, Italians, Irish, the Slovaks. Um, but what I was going to say is that, you know, in Maryland, we're, we're a progressive state. We have to change the hearts and minds of people. Yep. Julie, you got to be, I mean, and what you did was, was remarkable. Um, and so with that, you came back to Silver Spring? Yeah, I, I actually moved back to this area. From New York City? From, no, no, this was in Boston. Okay. So I did New York for a year, then moved to Boston, worked on for massive quality, right. and then moved back here. And I lived in D.C. proper uh, with, with Emily for a few yeah, years. Yeah, I had so that in Silver Spring. No, it was in, uh, we lived in Dried up, they didn't exist anymore. 
And so I ended up getting a job working for the federal government. Mm. And if you work for the federal government, it doesn't matter what state you're licensed in. As long as you have a license somewhere, you don't have to have it in the state in which you're working. Yeah. So I just thought, why would I pay another like $2,000 to take a bar exam in Maryland, D.C. or Virginia? Is it different every time you take the bar? No, it, it changes state to state. Yeah. States have different different requirements. But you do have to, you know, you have to, each state has its own rules. You've got to study specifically for that state. Right. So that's like a class you got to take, there's the books you need to buy to make sure you're learning all those rules. And I just didn't want to do it. Uh, I figured I already, I've already passed one bar, I'm good. Mark uh, so Sandler wants to convince Maria Mall to be a, a years, Trump. And a lot of the things that I worked on. Notice that she uh, worked for the Trump World Project. So. so, for example, I worked on implementing the Affordable Care Act for small businesses. And that was, yeah. I was actually yeah. the lead agency of Oh, yeah, he's a South Carolina. He's probably one of the so guys that booted out Mark Sandler. I was the administrator of the staff sitting there talking with her about, you know, Here's, here's our perspective on how this can impact small business. Well, here's some regulatory recommendations um, in terms of changes we should make, Mark, Mark Sandler. That was one big thing. I also helped develop a program called uh, Mark Sandler. That was part of. He was the former governor. Obama right? and, uh, he was the governor who got caught, caught on the AP trail. We need to fix the transition. Program so veterans coming out. He said he went hiking on the. In 2013, and one. How do we create a track for veterans transitioning out to learn how to start an operation successfully? So we created a new business, branded it as that. We, you know, developed the curriculum, then we travel around the country to different bases and help, you know, I'd love to see that happen. It was really cool. I got to ride in an MRAP. Yeah. Quantico, which is like a really scary and awesome experience yeah. at the so same time. My, my knowledge on the MRAP program is that Joe Biden has fought so hard over the years to protect the MRAP program. Did I? I mean, it's a pretty badass. Oh my God. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Colorado. And you know, I just, I, I, I would believe, I, I would imagine how important it was to be better. But I, I, I oh also think, absolutely, it was a term unbelievable. Yeah. To be able to do that. To be able to create He's something that I knew was going to create such positive good in people's lives. And that's quite frankly, honestly, if we're going to turn it back to politics, he, it's one of the I think his lieutenant governor was I truly female. believe that there are opportunities where the government can be helpful. It's not just yeah. get the government out of the way. I know he was in there for a while. done well can actually really, really improve their lives. Right. And that's something that yeah. I strongly believe in and I always want to make sure that I'm trying to do it. Is that usually so, how it goes? After leaving the, you know, while I was at the SBA, yeah. we actually started dentists. You know, I, I'm traveling the country, meeting all these small business owners. And you're thinking, I could do this. Right. Or, you know, He's maybe I could do this, but let's, let's try to make it happen. Guy. And uh, I love beer, and we were, Emily and I were living in Florida Springs yeah. at the time, we moved back to Maryland, and, uh, you know, Jeff, my brother-in-law, and fun. Emily and I got together and <laughs> opened up dentists. Uh, it sounds very simple when I say it like Did that. you build the building that we're in? No, the, the building existed. Uh, we're in the downstairs lower tap room area right, right. now. This is the original building. Uh, the upstairs tap room was added sometime, I think, in the early 90s. Uh, but this is originally built to be a uh, World War II manufacturing plant. No kidding. Yeah, so okay. We've actually sort of repurposed it back to its original use because when you're making beer, you're manufacturing. That's you're right. You're a manufacturing company. So, uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an awesome experience. There's some days where, you know, you just are 
super scared out of your mind, stressed out of your mind, and there's days where you are so filled with joy and pride and just sort of happiness that you were able to build this thing and create all these jobs and improve people's lives and create this community space. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you've seen a lot of candidates or political folks here, and we see it as part of our ethos as a company is that we are a community space. So if you are either a nonprofit or you're running for office or you are in office, you want to hold a town hall or whatever it is, you can use our space free of charge. The first time, the first time I was at Denison was back in 2000 and I believe 16. Mm-hmm. Then um, they had a, um, a term. Some of the candidates were um, anti-term limits. I know. And so they had it upstairs. I know they did. And it's where it was the same day that Ike Leggett announced that he was not running for re-election. And I remember I was writing at the time for a minor detail, but I was not necessarily covering minor de- or Montgomery County politics as much as I had wanted to. And I should have, damn it, I should have covered that scoop there and picked it up because that would have been a hell of a story. But he announced here wow. that he was not running for re-election. That's crazy. Well, I, I will tell you, yeah, no, we, we hosted that for them. Um, I'm actually, I actually support term limits. I think it's a good idea. But hey, you said, hey, have it here. Well, let's, no, I mean, we're a community space. Yeah. We've never once actually had a Republican do something here, but really? I'd be fine with it. Is that right? Yeah, there's never been a Republican that's reached out to us and said, hey, can we use your brewery for like a community meeting? Republicans drink beer. I know they do. They love beer. I'm sure we have a lot of Republican customers. Yeah. I mean, I just, you wouldn't say no to them. Yeah, you can use it. We've just right. never had anybody ask us. I mean, it's a popular spot in Silver Spring, yeah. and I know that you're opening another one, right? We are. We have signed a lease about a month ago. Uh, we're opening a second location. I want to make very clear we are not leaving Silver Spring. Mm-hmm. There's been some rumors going on. Really? Yeah, I don't know why, but no, we are staying in Silver Spring. This is just a second location expansion to Riverdale Park in okay. uh, Prince George's County. Wow. Right off of Route 1 near uh, the college. Were you spent, were you spent a lot of time there? Will we spend a lot yeah. of time there? Uh, I mean... Is it smaller? It's a larger space, 12,000 square feet. Wow. Uh, it's going to be able to increase our capacity to brew at a rate of at an X factor of about 10, yeah. which I'm pretty excited about, um, because we basically maxed out our production capacity here in 2015. And so we've been looking for opportunities to grow our business and expand. We spent a lot of time looking at a lot of locations within Montgomery County. We couldn't find anything that really worked for us in terms of our business model. And we really always want to be accessible to public transportation in and around a residential area, but also be able to be zoned like a commercial manufacturing space. And so this location on Route 1, it's actually where the uh, Whole Foods, the first Whole Foods is in Sources County. Okay. So it's in the same shopping center as so, Whole Foods. So you're elected, you and Alec are, become the Democratic ticket for the yeah. nominee. You're, yep. the, you're voted in on June 26th as the nominee, and then you go on to be Governor Hogan in November. Where does the Lieutenant Governor live? Right? I, they don't have a designated house. I haven't asked that question. I have a feeling I'll still live in Silver Spring. Yeah, now. right. <laughs> Which is fine by me. And so, really, how do you, constitutionally, the Lieutenant Governor spot in Maryland is really similar to kind of like being Vice President. Right. It, it doesn't have a, a, a necessary function, no, right? Exactly. It doesn't lose any doesn't enumerate any specific functions. Right. So I'd imagine that you would be taking on a policy role in the in yep. the Ross administration. Yep. And I presume that you would probably be doing a lot of the small business issues. That's exactly correct, actually. It's one of the things that actually was the, the reason one of the reasons how um, 
Alex convinced me to say yes to run with him. So but it took some convincing. It's a little, yeah, because it's, I, I mean, we talked about it. It's a, it's a scary proposition to put your name out there and, you know, you're, walk, you're running around the state meeting complete strangers every day and trying to convince them to like you. Yeah. You know how awkward that is? Oh, it's head, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's you know, and I'm a people person. Every every person I meet, I always assume, like, we're friends. Yeah. Unless you tell me otherwise, like, I'm just assuming we're buddies, right? And I, and I will do things to help you and, you know, all those things. And it's just been a very odd sort of perspective when you're running for office in terms of, because I run around the state all the time for my regular job because I sell our beer wholesale. So yeah. I'm constantly meeting new people and, and all that. But, uh, yeah, the thing that Alec and I talked about was, you know, I said, where do you, where do you see my role as being as lieutenant governor? And he said, I would like you, I want to give you the, the car keys to help run business policy for the entire state of Maryland. And I thought to myself, that would be an amazing opportunity. Because I think, and, I, and I'll say both Democrats and Republicans do this, you know, we bend over backwards for these massive corporations from a policy perspective. And then we don't put as much effort into helping grow the homegrown businesses here in Maryland. You know, wh why not help the small businesses become medium-sized businesses, the medium-sized businesses become large businesses? And if you're a small business and you want to stay small, that's great. But maybe we can convince you to hire five more people. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's if we added five jobs to every single small business in the state of Maryland, could you imagine how large our economy would grow? Well, I'm concerned, Julian, yeah. that here in Montgomery County, there's a big... There was an election back to determine where the business community sets up shop. I know, and and that and that starts at the county executive level down to the county council level, and there is a real I there is a real perception, and it and I wish people would listen to the business community. They have a seat at the table. They should have a seat at the table in government when they say we believe Montgomery County has not been friendly to us. Mm -hmm. But there's pushback on that theory. There's pushback yep. on that idea. But you have business owners. All over the place, saying you guys aren't friendly to us. Why aren't they listening? I'm not sure why they're not listening. I can tell you that it is uh, pretty infuriating, and you know we get there's a particular pushback that the business community gets, which is you know I hear people complain all the time that the regulations are too much and all this stuff. And okay, well tell me what specific regulation do we need to change or get rid of? And it's like that's not the point. It's the death by a thousand paper cuts that is the problem. It's that right. I've got to fill this form out on Monday and this form out on Tuesday and send this check on Wednesday and, oh, the inspector showed up on Thursday. And it's just this constant. And then the rules change every year where it's like, okay, well, now i got this new thing that's coming out the pipe. So it's never the one specific thing that is the problem. It's just the general attitude that we can just keep piling on and piling on and piling on. That's the problem. And if I'm spending as a business owner all of my time bogged down in paperwork, because I have to fill out all these reports. How am I doing any strategic long-term planning to actually grow my business and think about how I'm going to hire more people or add a second location or any of those things, right? It is, it is a serious problem. And, and I will also tell you this. There does not... There are certain people that work for the county that are absolutely amazing. Yeah, Wonderful. And, and I'm going to talk about it specifically from a regulatory perspective. I'm going to call them out specifically. Kathy Dermott, she works for the Department of Liquor Control. When I think of the DLC, I think of it as two things. One, you've got almost like what I refer to as the front of the house, which is like the licensing 
and the education and the training you know, and this to go around and do sting operations to make sure folks are doing underage service and all those things. Yeah. And then you've got the back of the house, which is like the warehouse. Email and all those yeah. The back of the house is where most people have problems. Uh, I have to tell you, Kathy Durbin is an absolute joy to work with. So she, okay. she should be paid at the highest level possible salary that you can pay a government employee in Montgomery County. She is amazing. That's number one. Number two, Judy Stevenson. She's a small business navigator that works in the county. Her entire job is when a new business gets started or is trying to grow, she helps you navigate. So you have a question, you say, Judy, here's what I'm trying to do. And her job is to figure out all the people in all the departments that you need to talk to and help you navigate through that system. She's absolutely wonderful and a huge advocate for small business. So I, I want to give them shout outs because both of those women have done amazing jobs. Um, I do think that when it comes to the conversation, and this is, I'm going to talk about this now because I brought this up earlier. Yeah. Our experience with the $15 minimum wage legislation, you know, in 2016 when it was first introduced, and Ike Leggett had vetoed that legislation, was it 2015 or early 2017? I think it was, it was around that timeline. I don't want to go on the record because I don't think yeah. I don't know if it's either. I do know that the final one that did pass that Ike Leggett signed to law last year last yeah, was in 2017, yeah. 2017. That's right. And I fully supported that okay. piece of legislation. The $15 minimum wage. Yes. Okay. I, and the reason why I supported the one that Ike Leggett signed was because it actually took into account the perspective of small business. Did you speak to the county at that time? I, 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 so the, the, first, the first one, Denison was actually asked to come and submit testimony okay. to County and say doesn't matter for or against, right? Doesn't matter for or against. Can you give us your your experience and what your thoughts are on this? As this law is written right now, what do you think would happen? We ran the numbers. We looked at our what the salary cost would be, all those things, and we basically said, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm running the numbers here, and if you pass this law exactly as it stands right now, you would have wiped out every single dollar of profit that we made in the last couple of years. Wow. And we would not have hired as many people as we have. And all of, you know, we ran, we literally ran the numbers. We didn't just like pull this out of our ass. Yeah. Like we, we spent a lot of time on this. And the community's reaction, the very far left, what we were talking about before, progressives attacked us, called for a boycott of Denison's Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. You. I mean, far left Democrats in Montgomery County tried, called for a boycott of Denison's Ring Company, accused us of being terrible employers, accused us of being just awful people. Did it piss you off? Yeah, it pissed me it, off. Because, and, and, and this has happened to me, where I've written an article, and out of nowhere, people in the far left category that has no logic and based in nothing, and say, based on this article, Ryan Miner is a misogynist, right. or Ryan Miner is this, and I just want to say, stop and listen to what you're saying. This right. is why people sure. hate politics. I know. This is why people just absolutely deplore right. the process because how could they possibly say that a progressive woman mm-hmm. who is who is gay and has opened her space up to the community as a you know a free space for anybody right. to come here and enjoy great beer, food, whatnot. To say that you're a terrible employee because what you don't support the fifteen dollar minimum wage as it is written. As it is written. 
Forgive me, I think it's just bullshit. I think it's bullshit too. And I and I appreciate you saying that. Gosh, you know, I literally went on for days. It was on Twitter. It was on Facebook. It was it was horrible. It was a horrible experience. Did you fight back? Yeah, we fought back. We absolutely fought back. And I I called up and emailed every single county council and said. Or so I'm not the right person. Step up and the stand with Dennis and Storing Company right now. You asked us to be here. You asked us to submit testimony. We're a small business. You're trying to pass a law that will impact small businesses and small business owners. We're allowed to have a voice and we're allowed to communicate and talk about what that would mean for us. And we're getting shit on, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And, and luckily, a couple of them stepped up and like said, hey, you guys got to stop. Like, Dennis has been doing their civic duty. I hope Elric stepped up. Uh, he did tell some people. I don't know if he. I don't remember if he did a public. His people tend to be really, uh, a little yeah. aggressive. They they basically all told folks like stop, and it eventually yeah. died down. But, Cut it out. But I will tell you, in 2017, and this is why politics is effed up. Yeah. Is they, they reintroduced, and I I was very involved in the negotiations on this. I didn't do anything public. People complain about this backdoor dealing shit. You know why that happens? Because when you do it publicly, you get called for boycotts, right? Did anybody actually boycott you guys? I'm sure there are people who have never come to Denison because of that situation. They know nothing about us. They don't know that we hosted Chelsea Clinton to support Hillary Clinton. We have Black Lives Matter written on the outside of the building. And we donate money, time, labor, you know, products to all sorts of causes that are socially progressive, you know, pay well above minimum wage. We, we do that. We offer health insurance to people. It's like, okay, if someone is making $14 an hour, but the employer is paying $800 a month for their health insurance, is that a shitty employer? Did, did any of those detractors come and talk to you? No, not at all. And that's the problem. Is they sit behind a computer screen on their Twitter and their Facebook. And we say, offered it. We offered it. We said, come meet us here at any point. Yes. I, will, I will show you the books. I will talk with you about all of this. Let's be human beings and stop attacking each other like this. It's so easy to do behind a computer screen. It is. And I just, it, 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 is, it is infuriating to me. And here's some things that, like, the Democrats need to do better at. Is it's not just about raising the minimum wage to help fix society. Quite frankly, $15 an hour is not a living wage. It's, what, 31000 yeah, a year? Not here in Montgomery County. Maybe if you're in Idaho, it is. Not Montgomery County, Maryland. I don't know how people do it. I don't know either. And I, and I, I have a lot of empathy. I've worked in wage jobs. Which yeah. I think I worked all the way through college. I was paying for college my whole my, my entire time. I, you know, I I get it. I have been broke. I, I've had apartments where literally this is when I was looking at When you walked in, my bedroom had a hole in the floor that was so large. Yeah, you could literally put a bowling ball through it. Oh my I God. could see through to the, the person. It was the only thing I could afford. Yeah. You know, 400 bucks a month. And I, yeah. and I could afford it. But like I, I get, I understand, I get it. If we really want to give people economic opportunity, we need to focus on giving them the skills they need in order to succeed and not settle for just a minimum. I think sometimes job. people in that are in activism yeah. that participate in the activist community, mm-hmm. they're so eager to demonize somebody. And if you're not a hundred percent on board with their particular policy mm-hmm. stand, then they lash out and mm-hmm. you weird things, and, and then it just turns into silly season. And then that's where conversations break down, because really what you want to say is, hey, goddammit, just listen to me, because we're on the same page, we just have different pathways to get there. Right, right. So, 
that's why in 2017 I was like, I am going to be absolutely as like involved in these conversations. And I think that the compromise that was reached made a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, if you are 25 or fewer employees, you don't have to get to 15 until 2024. If you're between, you know, 25 and 15, you get there in 2023. And I thought that made a lot of sense to be able to like sort of step it out for the businesses that are. Here's, a, here's another thing I have to say about policies that are done. What I mean by black and white, there is a huge difference between a business who has 25 employees that's been open for 20 years and a business that has 25 employees that's been open for two years. There is a massive difference. You're still paying down your debt. You're still getting your feet under. You're still making right. sure that the cases are worked out. Your business model makes sense. You're, you're thinking about all these things. You're learning all these things. When we make policies, we, de we define businesses by employee size. So we group in all businesses with 25 employees as equal, as opposed to looking at, okay, well, how long have they been in business? Maybe we should treat businesses that are five years old or less differently than we do others, regardless of the number of employees they have. We should also be looking at, you know, what are their net profits, not just what their gross revenues are. You know, you, your gross revenue could be $5 million, but if all of your costs that you have to pay for is, you know, four point, you know, nine 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 nine. Then you make a dollar right. in net profit. That's a very different situation, right? And if you're your net profit, you, you have to account for overhead. Right. I mean, running a brewery can't be cheap. It's not cheap at all. We have we have very very high overhead. You have to. I mean, the way people order your beer. I imagine there's so much that goes into keeping the lights on. All and, of and listen, Montgomery County is not a cheap place to live, and that's yeah. what people need to remember. And there's, and there's all these little things that happen that people don't think about. So WSSC is looking at creating these new rates, right, where they can choose to, to, to charge businesses a certain rate and residents a certain rate, as opposed to just looking at, well, what is the actual cost of the amount of water? Just do it based off the amount of water use. Don't give different rates for different groups. We're a brewery. We make beer. The largest raw material we use is water. Yes. So you've got these. These are, that's just one example of the little things we have to constantly be on the eye and look out for. Like, okay, what's happening next? Coming down the regulatory pipe, right? That's crazy that we have to fight that off. Then you've got President Crazy Pants starting trade wars, doing tariffs on aluminum, on stainless steel. Look behind you. You see all these cans right here? Yeah. That's aluminum. We have to buy aluminum things all the time. Right. We have to buy stainless steel cakes, manufacturing okay. equipment. I'm actually freaking out a little bit about this because we have to buy a brand new brew house and a bunch of fermenters. These are all stainless steel. And based on what's happening nationally, right. it, it could really cost you. It could really, really add a huge amount of cost. Now this guy is like getting into an argument with with Canada. Canada? Why? I know. I know. I, I mean, that's a whole situation. But you know, as we talk about a lot individually, and um, let's just briefly touch on some of the politics of the race. Um, sure. A couple of polls. Um, that have been taken by, uh, I think, Gouter College and the Bowling, mm -hmm. I believe the Washington Post, and then the Baltimore Sun. Yep. And Alec is, uh, what, about 5%? Is that where? I mean, yes. I, I would say that. That's what the polls say. We have internal polls that show them doing better than that. Um, we also have, I honestly have to, I have no idea what's going to happen just based off reading the polls. No, because you still have 40 to 50% of the electorate. A lot of people are undecided. Totally undecided. Right. And I think that, um, I think also the people that are going to decide this race are the people that no campaign has ever talked to. Because there's a lot more folks. Absolutely. There are a lot more Democrats 
or would be Democrats that never vote in primaries, that are fired up about Donald Trump, and they're voting this year, goddammit. Yeah. And they're coming out, and those are the people who are going to decide the yeah. election. That's right. And no one knows who those people are. And Alex, been, you and Alex have been all over the state of Maryland. And you have presented a, a unified message. You've talked about a lot of different issues. And Alex's catchphrase is that talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. Right. And it's something that he's very passionate about. And I think you make a unique team. Now, you have, you know, some of the candidates have been in public office for a long time. Richard Baker has been mm-hmm. county executive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. God rest his soul, Kevin Cameron was, in, uh, was county executive for uh, almost eight years and a county councilman. Yep. And so, and I and I think, uh, I know Christian's new with this. Um, she's a first-time candidate. Um, and uh, Rich Madalino's been in office for, what, 16 years? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're up against some competition, but I think people are looking for outsiders. I think they're saying, Hey, you want somebody who has government experience, mm-hmm. i.e., you and Alex, right. but we also want people who understand us. And I think right. we're looking for people that are, are not necessarily in public office mm-hmm. for so long. That we've tried that model, and yeah. whether it works or not, I don't know. But I think people are looking for, like, here's a, here's a business owner who made it and is doing really well. Here's a guy that's still trying to make it right. Yeah, I mean, aren't we all? <laughs> right. And, and I, I would like to. That you know, I don't know what's going to happen on uh, June 26, and it's a couple weeks away. Yep. But you guys have run a really positive campaign that is issues based. Whatever, so. whatever happens, I think you can say we did this the way that we wanted to do it, mm-hmm. and you ran the campaign that you wanted to do. It wasn't based on polling. Alex never goes out and says things based on what he sees in a poll that's no. popular. And Alex, does. I mean, in fact, Alex has said. We got some real problems in the Democratic Party, and he's pointed out those issues, and that's refreshing. I remember we had that interview, and when he's talked about you know trade and jobs yeah. and how education works, and you know this stigma that everybody has to be successful right. um, by going to college—that's not true. My, my dad very never successful without going to college, right? Yeah. And so I think that that message has a lot less debt too. Oh my God, right? I mean, grad school alone yeah. killing me. Um, I think you guys have done an extraordinary task of bringing people into the Democratic Party, or at least activating people and getting them to think about issues mm-hmm. in a way that a career politician has. I and, agree. and you know, I've seen some of the attacks in this race, and um, you know, just I'll give you an example of like some of the drive-by bullshit that I've seen. <laughs> okay, and I, I'm just gonna go there. I remember back in what was it, March. That Rich Manolino accused Alec of uh, this thing where he said Alec doesn't know about prancing, right? And I think in hindsight, I'm sure Alec was thinking uh, maybe that wasn't the right thing. But honestly, as a straight white male, yep. I had no idea that prancing was viewed in the gay community as a negative connotation. There's two things I'll say about that. A lot of people didn't know that, and also really, there's a lot of people right. in the gay community who didn't know it was considered as negative either. Should you went out and as you're running, I mean, as Alec's running mate. Rich the cats because they were pushing this thing, and you had people from his campaign, people from the other group, Dim, and attacking Alec. And I thought that it was a really unfair attack. And I just up and I defended Alec in a way that just laid out the facts and said, hey, look, I don't know that this is, uh, I didn't know that that was. And then all of a sudden, 
Julie. I got accused. Yeah. Well, they said, well, he's not an ally of the community. Are you get, Are you freaking kidding me? And that's what you took Richard task on Twitter. You did. And you said, listen, this is what it is. And, this, and to use that issue as a ledge issue and make Alex Ross, of all people, who picked, you know, whose own running is on the LG, who is a member of the LGBTQ community, I thought that that was an unfair attack. That's the drive-by attack that people hate in politics. I agree. And I also think, quite frankly, it was a little sexist, too. Uh, Here's my reasoning for that. I'm not trying to be this, like, let me find a thing. Right. What does, if Alex Ross, let's assume Alex Ross is anti-gay, or not an ally. Let's go ahead and, okay, Rich, we'll take your assumption. What does that say about Julie Marotti being his running? That's exactly right. It makes me a non-entity. It makes me have someone who has self-loathing that doesn't care about herself or the LGBT community. Why in the world would I run with someone that I so strongly believed in if he was not an ally to the LGBT community? What are you saying about the only other LGBT yeah. candidate in the race who, oh, by the way, happens to be a female, and oh, by the way, the gay community never wants a lot of these articles None of these people took the tactic the victory fund, all of them. Uh, Not one of them mentioned, oh, by the way, Alec Ross has a lesbian running mate. Uh, the one guy in the race who has a lesbian running mate is being attacked and being accused of being not an ally. That, that to me, is just absolutely absurd. Yeah. And I can tell you right now, Alec Ross is 1,000% an ally of the LGBT people. And I, I will say that now, I will say that yesterday, I will say that forever. And I am stand by him, he did not at all need to make any type of anti-LGBT attack against yeah. Senator Madison. Yeah, and I thought it was an unfair attack, and I'll say that, like you said, today, yeah. yesterday, tomorrow. And sometimes you just got to call it as you see it. Yeah. And in politics, and in these type races, Julie, people will pull out God knows what in order to make an issue out of it. And that is what people hate about politics. Like, let's just stick to the issue. Right. I right. Alex said something that I'm sure that maybe in hindsight he wouldn't have said again. But either way, to make an issue out of that, to turn it into something that it wasn't. He'll probably never use the France, the word France ever right. again. My wife. For his life. Well, like, even when talking about an actual horse. He's probably never going to use that word again. <laughs> I mean, what a, what a valuable. Right. <laughs> we all get some insight from different right. experiences. But right. You know, just to wrap up, um, June 26th again is coming soon. I think that you have a, a fascinating ticket. So you guys win to go on, and um, I know we didn't get into general election politics, but you know, to sum it up, what do you, what do you really hope to accomplish? If Alex elected governor, what do you want to do in that four years? I mean, I, four years? I think our I think our top three priorities are going to sum them up. With the, this is, the first one is not going to be any different than any of the other two. Making sure that we're fully supporting funding and creating the right curriculum for our K through 12 education throughout our entire state. Oh, yeah. uh, secondly, is making sure that we're really revamping and growing all of our vocational and skilled trade programs across the state. You know, Montgomery County only has one vocational school in the entire county. And that's sad. It's super sad. Yeah. It's something that we need to fix. We need to fix it quickly. Uh, so that's number two. And number three is making sure that Maryland is number one state in the country to so, start an operation. Yeah. And that, that last point is not something I've heard from any other candidate in terms of their being in their top three. And if you're running to be in charge of the state, if 
You're not talking about the economy of the economy. I don't know what you're doing, quite frankly. So that's why I'm very proud and excited to be running the line for office. I think he's the right guy for the job. Huge fan of him. Beer guy, Baltimore guy. Down to earth, but he's really honestly just like one of the kindest and most weird nice people that I've ever And I've always experienced that with Alex. He's been straight up, he's been. A above board guy with me, never give me any BS. Sometimes bloggers, journalists, radio podcasts, so we got to ask tough questions, yep. and he gives me it straight. And I follow him, and um, this whole race has been unique to watch. And so, and I followed him, and I, I just found him to be affable, to be charming, and to know the issues back on corporate sideways and broadways. And I think that you have to understand Maryland. In to really affect change in the policy. And so, well, I, I just want to thank thank you for coming and talking to me on a Sunday afternoon. This was a blast. I love Denison. I, I encourage all my listeners to come down here and buy a beer, grab some food, bring the family. Just come here every day. I mean, I, mean, I, I, wish, uh, I wish we had this in North Potomac where I live, but this is always my number one excuse to get down to Silver Spring. I love it here. And it's a blast. Um, so just concluding, where can we find more information about the campaign? There's a couple of places. One would be alexroth.com. Uh, you can also do rothmarati.com. As you found out, you're just listening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, uh, the website, yeah. right? His, his name is a little bit easier to spell, so I always just send people to alexroth.com. Yeah. Uh, we're also on Twitter. Al, at Alec J. Roth. Alec J. Roth. Don't forget the J. And he's, you're both verified. We are both verified. That is so cool. I'm not verified, and Twitter's just like, screw you, I'm not going to verify you. Yeah, I, I don't know how the campaign did it. I have nothing to do with it. Oh, okay. They, they but that's cool. figured out your candidate should yes. verify Yeah. And then uh, I'm at Julie Barati on Twitter, and then we both have Facebook, and uh, Alec also has Instagram. I do not. So, there you go. So so what? So what? The Gen X, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Gen X and Well, thanks for doing this, Julie. Best of luck to you. And anybody who is listening, early voting begins this Thursday, June 14th. Yep. Go out and vote. Um, and if, if you can't make early voting, I believe it lasts one week. Yeah, it ends uh, June 21st. June 21st. Yep. And then if you can't vote in those in that period of time, go out and vote on June 21st. I always early vote because I must get them out of the way. I know who I'm voting for anyway. And we have our, we're like my grandparents who, I mean, if we literally do this, we take our uh, our mailed copy of our ballot, we have it filled out, and we go into the ballot uh, yep. the ballot box. And we sit there and we just fill it out. It nice. used to be electronic. Yep. But we bring it in, and my grandparents did the same thing. <laughs> voting in my family is such, it, it's, it's, it's so important. Because yep. it's who we are as Americans. We have the right, we have that opportunity to pick our new leaders, uh, to, to show who we want to represent us. Yeah. Don't ever abuse that right. And, yeah. it, or, and what I mean by that is don't, don't not do it. Right. Do it. Get out and vote. There's no reason for you not to vote. I and I know my listeners are the 4-4 four four voters. Right. They vote in every election. They, they really care about our political process and about yeah. our community. So, I, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but Julie, thank you. I think you guys are going to do really well on election day. I'm excited to see what uh, what comes about. Thank you, Ryan. Yep. Yep. You bet.